Well, who doesn't love 80s rap, huh? Early in the morning to get you going. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, my name is Keith Kozik, and I'm one of the adult ministry pastors here, and I get to kick off your summer of substitute teaching, all right? All right, all right. The first service wasn't that as excited, so I like, I like you guys more already. So, hey, just so you know, uh, so I'm going to preach a couple times. You're going to hear from Pastor Joe a couple times, and you're going to hear from Pastor Bob. And so we had kind of sat down and discussed, well, what, what kind of like do we feel like God is kind of speaking to us about? What can we talk to, you know, a congregation about? So we came up with this idea of selfless living in a selfie world. So let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into it a little bit. So let's pray. God, as, uh, as I prayed in the first service, and I pray again in this one. When Jesus spoke, it said that he spoke as one with authority. And so, God, I just pray that I would have that same authority today, not to bring myself glory, but to bring you glory. So, God, I just pray that you would speak clearly through me. I would say what you want me to say. And, God, we would walk out of here changed to be more like you. And we pray this all in your precious name. Amen. So if we're going to talk about this idea of a selfless living in a, in a selfie world, well, what is a selfie? That would be an important thing. So a selfie is a photograph that one takes of oneself, typically one taken with a smartphone, webcam, or shared via social media. So you may have seen people walking around like this or doing things like that. They're not doing anything silly other than just taking pictures of themselves, which they usually post on you know, Snapchat, uh, Facebook, things like that. And so I want to show you uh, some examples of some selfies that I just took this morning. So there's me waking up. I'm pretty perky. Uh, I'm pretty happy when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> There's me. Oh, you know what? So I was going to wear those jeans, and I just decided, you know, today, no, not today. I'm going to wear dress pants. Go ahead. This is my backyard, um, and there's some really exotic places in Butler that you just didn't know about, and uh, that just happens to one of them. And go ahead, my last one. There, there I am getting picked up to, to preach this morning. Um, when we built that into the budget, the idea of a selfless living in a selfie world, whoever preaches gets picked up by the pink limo. It'll be out back, you know, if anyone wants to ride home. So those are, those are examples of selfie. Obviously, we Photoshop them um, to have a little bit of fun. Uh, I'm going to give you some facts about selfies because they're, they're a big deal right now. This is Rawhide, a, a nonprofit organization that assists at at-risk uh, youth in Wisconsin. More people died from taking selfies in 2015 than from shark attacks. That's pretty incredible. 55% of, of millennials, and those are people born from 1981 to 1996, have taken selfies and shared them on social media. 74% of all the images shared on Snapchat are selfies. A thousand selfies are posted on Instagram every 10 seconds. And finally, th there are 93 million selfies taken each day, which would represent 2.5 million rolls of film. Think about that. So, I mean, these, the idea of this selfie, it's, it's a big deal. And, and people are taking them. And the, most, uh, the people that take them the most are women from ages 16 to 25. Now, if you have a daughter between this, I don't, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, all right? Or if you're on Instagram or Snapchat, you can see lots of pictures of girls. So this is according to CNET. Young women spend five hours a week taking, taking selfies. Young women aged 16 to 25 take three selfies a day, according to the UK study, and there's lighting, makeup, and camera and angles to consider because they got, they got to look perfect. You know, they're just perfect and trying to, to take their time and, and get it. And so when we start talking about these things, the, the question is, is why? 
Why, why are people taking so many selfies? Like, again, I've taken them in myself. I'm not, I'm not hating. I'm not by any means. I'm just saying. Like, why do people take selfies of themselves? And so I really, I, I spent a lot of time reading and studying and analyzing this. And there's a couple different reasons. Well, I think that every one of us, you know, this is human nature, we want to feel like we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Is that not true? We want to feel like we're part of a community. And for many people, the idea of being on social media, Instagram, Snapchat, it makes us feel like we're part of this larger community, something bigger than ourselves, and that we belong. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think that's exactly how God wants. I really believe that the church is supposed to fill that void. But that's, that's how, you know, social media um, is really exists and, and why it's so popular. But then as, as you do a little bit more research and you, get, you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that a lot of people are taking pictures and selfies to, be, to create this feeling of, hey, kind of look at me. Look at what I'm accomplishing. Um, look, look at what I'm doing. To kind of create a, a sense of maybe jealous or envy in other people's lives. Like, hey, look at what I'm eating for dinner tonight, and you're eating mac and cheese. You know, like things like that. That's why we take pictures of food and things like, hey, look at this event that I'm doing. And so we, we want people to kind of be jealous or maybe envious of us. Or maybe I'll even go as far as this, as one researcher said. We kind of want people to imitate us because then we kind of feel kind of important. Isn't that true? And so as I started to think about that, as I started to wonder, but is, is, that what, is that what God would really want? Does God really want us to be kind of selfish and wanting people to focus on us or not? And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. That's where we're going to be. Um, and I'm going to read from the NASB, uh, which is the New American Standard uh, version of the Bible. Um, I'm a huge fan of the NIV. I just like the translation of the NASB uh, a little bit more. So that's where we're, we're going to be camped. In Ephesians 5.1, we'll get it through as many verses. I, I told Pastor Joe and back, I could preach for two hours, but you guys probably don't have that much time. So I'm, I'm going to go to 11 or 11.45 like I'm supposed to. So Ephesians 5 is where, where I'm at. And like I said, I'm reading a different version, so the flying screens will have them up there. So it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So I just want to ask yourself, how well are you doing at imitating God? How often do people come up to you and say, hey, you know what? There's just something different about you. I, I see that you don't act like other people. Why is that? You seem to be different than other people. Because all of us desire to be different. We desire to have change. We desire that people want to be like us. That's the whole idea of imitating. But the person that we're really supposed to be imitating is God. Let me tell you a story I think that really translates well to this. Uh, the good Lord decided to bless me with uh, a third son a year and a half ago. And in God's infinite wisdom and, I think, humor, he decided to make my most difficult child my third child. And maybe you've had that instance as being a parent. You're like, God decided, hey, you know what? The first two are all right. Now the third one, you're going to suffer. And so that's where I have Callan, all right? And I love Callan. He's my buddy. They can, you can see the picture of him. They're going to they're bring He is. He is... 
If this kid, if we could harness the energy that this kid has, I mean, like, we could light up the sky for forever. I mean, he, you can see he's got his Sesame Street Crocs on there, and so whenever I come through the door, I put them on him, and he's like, outside, outside, outside. I'm like, okay, buddy, we'll go outside. I open the door, I lead him down the back steps, and he's like the flash. He is gone. He's, he is sprinting, he's going, and he goes right to the garage door every time, and he waits there, and he's waiting for me. He's looking at me like, come on, Dad, let's go. And so I get over to the garage door. I punch in the code. The garage door starts going up. As soon as it's at his height, he dips under and he sprints in it right through the first bay into the second bay. And he's there. And he goes and he grabs this right here. He looks at me and goes, stick. I was like, yeah, stick. And he walks, stick, stick, stick. And they're looking at me, puck. Puck, puck. And so I find him, and if you, if you look at the picture, he does have the red puck. He has the puck in his hand. He walk, carries him around. He's going around with him. He's looking. Then he drops it down near the net, and he swings like seven times because he misses. And then he finally hits it in, looks at me, and goes, scores! <laughs> I'm raising him right, aren't I, huh? <laughs> scores! And he's all excited, like, woohoo! I, I scored! I, I got it. And he'll drag it back out, swing like four more times. Scores! And then he'll go out in the yard. He'll just be out in the yard like this. You know what I mean? With that stick. He, he never wants to let it go. Well, why does he do that? Because his two older brothers, Caden and Cohen, they're pretty big into roller hockey. And they're eight and a half to nine years older than him. And he what? He wants to imitate them. He's like, that is the coolest thing ever. I mean, this kid's been getting drugged to the rink when he was born. And he sees his brothers practicing. He wants to shoot them. He wants to imitate them. Why? Because he's a child. He's simple. And he sees what his brothers do. He goes, I want to be like that. And isn't that the perfect picture of how we should want to be like God? Here we are, just this little child going, I want to pick up the stick out. I want to do what you want me to do. I, I want to do those things. I, I want to imitate you. Because that's what children do. Go ahead, my next slide, because this is what I've found in people, is that we imitate what we admire. Isn't that true? Think about that. You imitate the people you admire. The people that you want to be like, you, you admire them. That, that's, that's, that's why you want to do what they do. You think that there's something about them that you're like, ah, oh, there's something special about that. I, I, I want to be like them. But the opposite is also true. If you don't admire someone, you won't imitate them. Why would you? That doesn't make any sense. And so if you think God is unfair, if you think God is unjust, if you think God has dealt you a, a bad lot in life, you're going to really struggle to imitate him. Because you're going to feel like, God, that, what you did to me isn't fair. And so I would really, if you're struggling with that, pray about it. Come talk to one of us, one of the pastors. Come talk to one of the elders. Because that is such an important thing is that if you don't, admire God. You're just never going to imitate him and never be the child that God wants you to be. A.W. Tudor says this. This is the weak always imitate the strong and never the other way around. Think back to your high school days, or maybe that's not too long ago. Maybe it was a long time ago. But think about it. Did the cool kids, did they imitate the not-so-cool kids? Did the pretty girl be like, I really want to dress like the girl that's maybe not as pretty and dresses, you know, not as cool or whatever? That's not usually what happens. 
the strong, you know, the weak imitate the strong. It's the other people, you know, the weaker people, the, you know, maybe the dorky people that want to be like the cool kids. That's why they want to do things like that. That's maybe why they post selfies, because they want to show what they, what they do. And what happens, I have found, is the strong people, they mock the weak. Isn't that true? That's why the cool kid can mock the other kid, the littler kid, and get away with it. Because why? Because what are they going to do about it? Now, I happen to be here with one of my friends from high school that may have been a jerk at one point in his life. And there was a guy that would do certain things. Now, I'm not going to say any names. I, I would never do anything like that. But he may have been the quarterback, and I might have been his crony. And so, therefore, we could say whatever we wanted to people, and what were they going to do about it? Nothing. I was the mouth. I was going to be meaner than anybody else, and he was the tough guy. So that's we had a good relationship. And what could people do about it? Nothing. Until you realize something. And this is the, this is the hardest realization in life, and many of us have come to this realization, is that we think that we're strong, but we're really not. That we're weak. That what we think is, is do, doing these things to make fun of people, to put people down. We're just hurting ourselves and we're hurting other people. That's not really how we want to live. And so you, you try to stop doing it. I'm not going to say bad things about people. I'm not going to think those negative thoughts. Or for women, it's not, I'm not going to tear apart the way that they dress or because I feel threatened by them. Or I'm not going to tear apart their, their, their hair, their nose, whatever it is, to make myself feel better. And you try to do that in your own strength. and You just can't do it. And you hate that about yourself. And you, and you can't change. And you want to change because you're like, I, this isn't right. I know it's not right. And then you realize how weak you are. And then when you come to that point where you realize how weak you are and you say, God, I, I can't change this about myself, at least for me. I, I down on my knees. I'm like, God, I, 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 I need to change. I don't want to be this way. I'm weak. That's when someone's stronger than me. That's when Jesus Christ helps you. That's when he comes into your life and he changes you from the inside. And then what happens is, is you don't view people as weak anymore. You don't view them as, I'm superior to you. I, I'm going to look down on you or I'm going to make myself feel better. You see people's weaknesses and you love them. And you want to come beside them. And you want to help them. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. Amen? Because that's what he comes beside and he want, And you want to imitate the Father because that's what the Father has done for you. He's come beside you. He's built you up. He loves you. He cares for you. And you don't view people as weak anymore. You view them as broken like you, and you want to come beside them. And that is when you're a powerful imitator of God, and that's when you become a beloved child. Man, and that was just the first verse. Woo! Buckle up here. Ephesians 2 says this. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And so this is what Jesus Christ did. He came and he, and he died on the cross to be a substitute for our sins. Or we call it the atonement. He made things, he made things right. He atoned for our, our, our mistakes. And so he was the ultimate atonement for all of our sins. That's why we don't sacrifice lambs and bulls and pigeons out back. We're not slaughtering them anymore. Because he paid the ultimate price for our sins. He took the place of all those. Now, Jesus Christ came down, he could have stayed in heaven, he could have, you know, just been, hey, this is great, I don't need to do this, but he was coming and willing to what? To sacrifice his life for us, because he loved us. 
And so to be an imitator of God, the main thing you have to do is be willing to sacrifice. And if you're not willing to sacrifice, if you're not willing to say, God, change me, or God, mold in my life, then guess what? It's not going to happen. Because we love sacrifice when other people do it for us. We don't necessarily love to sacrifice as, as U.S. citizens. I mean, we consume five more, than any, five more uh, things than any other country in the world. We are consumer-minded. In fact, you probably have that list of things you want in your head. The, I, I want to buy this car. I want this. Or on your list, we all have these lists of things that we want. How about the things that we need to sacrifice? And it's hard, isn't it? Like the world tells you, you need these things. You need to be worried about self, not to be selfless. You need these. You need to worry about these things. And it's just not how the imitator of God should live. Let me tell you a story. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to do this. We're going to have a pop quiz, okay? Pop quiz, you know, maybe you haven't had one of those for a while. So before Donald Trump became in office, according to the USA Today, all right, because this made a little bit of debate, who is the wealthiest president of all time? And you could try to think about this, try to formulate it in your head. Okay, who is the wealthiest president of all time? Who had the most, you know, per capita? You know, that's what I want you to think. Okay, who, who would have been it? All right, got your guess in your head? Show them the right answer, boys. It is George Washington was the wealthiest president of all time with a net worth of $525 million. But let me tell you something about George, because most of us don't think of George that way. And this is from Nick, Nick Degenasto. This is uh, from his LinkedIn article. It says, George Washington had voluntarily served without pay and duty to his country for the entire duration of his eight year of the Revolutionary War. All the events hosted during the Revolution by the commander-in-chief, such as celebrations and parties, were also missing from the tab because they were financed through lotteries and ticket sales from, for admission by Washington himself. The commander never once took advantage of the country's scarce public finances to enjoy the privileges and spoils that came from such a prominent position of power at this soon-to-be soon nation's expense. And you say, Keith, well, listen, lots of presidents took the job and didn't make any money. Yeah, but a lot of them, a lot of them weren't chief fundraisers, which is a, a different animal all itself. Not only did Washington provide his services as general without a salary, he also sacrificed his own financial being for the cause of the nation. Like many of his men, he owned a business that he cannot operate efficiently in his absence. In addition, uncontrolled inflation had significantly depreciated the value of the continental dollar. By the war's end, his net worth was rendered to be approximately half of what it was when the war began eight years earlier in 1775. Many of you are financial advisors in here. If I were to sit down and say to you, hey, look, I got this idea. I want to take a job, and I'm not going to make any money at it. And in fact, the, 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 the normal job that I have, I'm, I'm going, to, going to neglect it, and I'm going to become this cheap fundraiser, and by the end of the, you know, the eight years of doing this job, my net worth is going to be cut in half. What do you think? Well, most financial advisors would say, that is an incredibly stupid idea. Do not do that. But did George do that? Absolutely not. And this is why we celebrate him as, as, a, as the first president and as the great man that he was. He was willing to sacrifice. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was probably going to lose some money. But he was willing to lose millions and millions of dollars in sacrifice. Why? Because he wanted to believe and he, he wanted to provide a better opportunity for others. 
He was willing to sacrifice for others. And think of the millions. Think of all of us have been impacted in this room by the sacrifice of George Washington. And that's why he's beloved. That's why we care about him even to this day. All of his hardships, perseverance, and leadership came a total fiscal cost of zero dollars to the soon-be nation's citizens as Washington refused to accept any pay for his service to the United States of America. But what are we really willing to sacrifice? Uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity to do the 100-year anniversary video for this church. And it was awesome. I got to talk to a lot of people um, that I'd never gotten to talk to before. A lot of the people, honestly, who have gone and moved into glory even now. And, and I got to sit and talk to them about, you know, hey, when we moved, you know, because we had moved as a church three times. We moved from, from Mercer Street up here to Center Township. There were tremendous sacrifices that were made. Most of these people don't want to remain anonymous. But I want to tell certain stories. Like There were many people that downsized their house. That say, listen, we're going we're gonna to live in a smaller house. We're, we're going to sacrifice because we believe that God wants us to come to the location that we are now. Lots of people did that. There were many people that sacrificed. They had two vehicles back then. And they would say, we're going to go down to one vehicle. We're willing to sell our car because we want to sacrifice. Because we believe enough in our church and what God has done in this congregation. that we're willing to make that sacrifice. And those are just some of the stories that I know of. I know that there was hundreds of other ones that people were too humble or modest to talk about. And then when we moved into our new congregation, or I'm sorry, our new sanctuary eight or nine years ago, there was many of you that were willing to make sacrifices so that we could be here and we could reach, honestly, Butler County better. That's why we asked you to make those sacrifices, and many of you did. And we want to thank you for that. Nothing great comes without sacrifice. And of all the sacrifices I told you about George Washington, the thankfulness of, of so many of you sacrificing for this congregation, don't they all pale in comparison to what Jesus Christ did for us? And when you understand the sacrifice that he, that he made and the love that he has for us and the millions and millions and millions of people that has affected billions of people, how could you not be, want to be an imitator of him? To say, God, I'm so grateful for what you sacrificed. I, I just thank you so much. I'm willing to sacrifice in our lives. And I want to sacrifice because of what you've done for me. The key to being an imitator is sacrificing. Ephesians 3 and 4 says this. Says, but no immoral or any impure or greed must not be even named among you as improper among the saints. And so if you want to be an imitator of God, you can't have immorality, impurity, or greed. And so I started to really pray about these things. I was just like, God, you know, are these all right? You know, like, I, again, when you read scripture, at least I do, I'm like, I, I want to give myself like a checklist. Like, okay, God, is, you know, how am I doing in this area? And the one that really I felt convicted of was greed. And I'm just going to be really honest. I felt like God was saying, you know, you're greedier now than you've ever been in your life. And, when, and I did my normal thing when God convicts me of something. No, God, that's not true. I, that couldn't possibly be true. Like, no, that, that's not true. And then I started to pray about it. He was right again. Can you believe that when God convicts? Like, I, what were the chances, you know? And so I started to pray about it. I'm like, well, God, he, he's, and it felt like God said, you worry more about money now than ever. And, and I started to think, well, why is that? And I, when I first started ministry, I mean, it was just me and my wife, and it was great. You know, you had, I had this little house, you know, and I was, you know, and you have your cars, and everything's good. 
And then the Lord blesses you what? With children, all right? And I, I had two children, and then you have to buy diapers. And we, I had to upgrade the house, had to upgrade the cars, and kids, you know, and the kids and the money. And, and the money just becomes more prevalent in your life. You, you have to think about it more. And then eight and a half years later, I had another child. And, you know, all of a sudden now I'm like, oh, my gosh, now I got back into diapers. And my other kids are playing sports. And, you know, I got to buy clothes for all my kids. And then, you know, in September I'm having another kid, so I got to buy a minivan now. You know, like, I have all these things. And by no means am I trying to, you know, I'm not crying poor mouth anyway. Our church is amazing. I want to make this really clear. But I just started to become more consumed by money. And I started to become greedy. I'm like, what can I sell on eBay? What can I flip? And you just, you just start thinking about all these things. And, and, and when God convicted me of this, I just felt like God was saying to me, Keith, when have I ever not provided for you? What, what, what have you ever really needed, not wanted, needed, and I haven't given it to you? And I said, nothing, Lord. And what do you think, why would you think that's going to change? I hate it when he's right, don't you? You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's just how God is. And if I want to be an imitator of God, I can't be consumed with things, with money, and, and, and things that don't really matter like that. Verse 4, there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And um, if you're a guy here, your wife may be slowly tapping you on the, the, the leg or giving you the, the elbow here. Because really, you know, I think it's hard for guys is you may have that really good perverted joke, or there may be that perfect time to drop that, you know, that inappropriate comment in. You know, it's hard. You know, I'm really good at it myself. I um, mean, you, you, you want to drop it in, and you're like, I, 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 no, I can't. You know what I mean? And you know why I, I, you can't say those inappropriate things? Because as an imitator of God, I, I don't want people to think less of my God. And, and there's this struggle, I think, that guys face. And again, maybe women do too, but I think it's really prevalent guys. Do you want to be funny or do you want to be godly? And we want to be both. And those don't always go together. And that's why I think pieces, parts of Scripture just talk about this. You can't have any filthiness, silly talk, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather, you know, of giving thanks. You may have to sacrifice being funny so that people would think that you're godly. And you're really not sacrificing anything at all. You're building the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, 5 says, For know this with certainty that no immoral, no impure person or covetous, people who long after other things, man, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and with God. And the reason why, and again, this verse sounds harsh, but it's, leave it out there because it, it is harsh. It's harsh. No immoral, impure, or covetous person. It's because you're not really being an imitator of God. You're being an imitator of self. And again, you may think that's, that's harsh, but this is what the Bible teaches. I'm just being honest. I love you. I care about you. But if you continue to just, you know, be a lover of self and doing the things and not an imitator of God, then you don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And God wants to help you in your weakness, what I just talked about. If you're struggling with these things, God is not going to give up in you. There's people in this church who aren't going to give up in you. But you have to come to the point where, God, I, I need you to help me with this. Ephesians 5, 6, it says, let no one deceive you with empty words. And I'm going to add on, on Twitter, on the news, on fake news, on the internet. Because let's be honest, who do we really know who to believe in this day and age? 
good answer, Jared. Like, that's really what it is. Like, who, who do we really know? Because there's all these people that spin all these things, and, they, and they, want, they want ratings. They want your clickbaits. They want you. Why? Because then it makes them look better so they can make more money. And when you come back to it, that tweet, that news story, in two weeks, it's not going to matter. But this has mattered for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. This has been relevant. It's still relevant to our lives today. And it's truth. It's truth in our lives. You know, the, the, the greatest thing about it, you know, being a child is that your life is what? It's simple, isn't it? You're not worried about all these things. You're not worried. You're just simply placing your trust in your parents or your guardian or whoever's looking out for you. And that's what God calls us to be, to place our trust in what this book says is true and has been true and will remain true for the next 2,000 years. And your life becomes a lot simpler and you have a lot more direction in your life and things just go better. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God becomes comes on upon the sons of disobedience. That's what he's saying. If you're disobedient to the truth, it's going to be tough. So you're going to have to sacrifice at certain times. This is what I've done. I will take social media fast. I love Twitter. I, it's the greatest place to get sports information in the world. Like As soon as it happens, you know I love it. But there are other times in my life where, honestly, I will just take a fast from it. I will spend a week. I'll just decide I'm not going to get on Twitter. I'm not going to get on the Internet I'm not going to do those things. And I'm like, why don't I do this more often? Because why? Because my life becomes so much more simple and more clear. And some of you in this room need to do that. Get off Facebook. Get into the Bible. It's, it's, it will change your life. It will give you that peace, that direction that you're longing for. And that's why you're unsettled. Ephesians 5, 8, and 10. For you were formerly in darkness, but now you are the light of the world. Walk as children in the light. And I, I said, think about David, whenever he would come in the light. Because, you know, in the darkness, I'm back here. You don't see me as well, right? But whenever I come right where the, the spotlights are, I'm exposed for what I am. He said, come into the light. Be, be exposed, okay? And just say, God, what is it in my life that's unpleasing to you? I'm exposing you. Have your way within me, Lord. Have your way, Lord, whatever you want. And David would just cry out to that in the Psalms. If there's things that aren't pleasing, just let me know, Lord. Let me know. I just want to please you. And walk in the light. For the, fruit of the, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You remember when you first started dating your spouse or significant other? When, when you started to get to know them? I remember I first started dating Kyleen. And you're like, you're just desperate to try to find anything out about them. You're like, what's their favorite color? You know, what's their favorite movie? And you're trying to learn all these things. Why? Because you want to know them. You want to spend time. You want to be able to be as close and intimate to them. And so you have that relationship, and you're trying so hard to learn these things. And we start talking, I start learning, well, what's your favorite candy and things like that? And my wife loves chocolate, but not just any chocolate. It can't be Ghirardelli, and I like Ghirardelli. It's all right, you know. It can't be Hershey's. It can't be Dove. It's got to be this. Go ahead. It's got to be Lint. Like that is, man, that is what pleases her. She loves that when I buy her that. My wife likes mac and cheese too. 
Not so much the Velveeta, that's okay, or the Kraft three noodle, but really, when I buy it, when she gets this, this is lobster mac and cheese. Any of you ever had this? Amazing. That is what she loves. Why do I know these things? It's because I've spent time with her. I know what pleases her. I know she loves it when I do the dishes and clean up. I need to do more of that. (laughs) But I've spent time with her. I know her. And it's the same way with God. Do you know what pleases God? God likes it when you open the Bible. But God really loves it when you open the Bible and say, God, just teach me something today. Let me learn. I want to be teachable today. That's when God really teaches you something. God loves it when you pray. God loves it when after you're done praying, you're just silent and you just, you know, you, you desire him and sometimes he'll speak to your heart. That's even better. But do you know what pleases God? Like I know what makes my wife happy and pleases her. I want you guys to bow your heads. I just want you to think for a second. How are you doing at imitating God? Because like I told you, the, the childlike faith is simple. It really is. And it provides direction and peace. Are you, is that the life that you're living? Or are you not living that? How are you doing at sacrificing? What are the things in your life you may need to sacrifice? Are you willing to say, God, you know, expose me. I, I just want to be like you. Are you willing to let God have free reign in your life? He'll make you strong. Even if you feel weak, there's nothing that God can't help you with. No soul that's too lost or too broken or too addiction that's too strong. God loves you. Be his child. And when you do those things, you're an imitator. You, you sacrifice. You have exactly what this is. You have the selfless living in a selfie world. So I'm going to pray for you guys. I'll get you out of here. God, thank you so much uh, for speaking the words that you want to. And God, the words that I spoke, I pray that they would be banished far from here. But words that you spoke through me, God, that fell on people's hearts, I pray that they would produce the good, the good soil and the good crop. That, God, we would be willing to leave here and let you have your way. That we would be imitators. That we would be sacrificing. That we would be who you want us to be so we could be selfless. Because that's what we really desire to be. And that's when we're really alive. God, fill us with your spirit. Give us the power to be able to live how you want us to. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. I love you all. Pastor Joe will be up here next week. And you can learn more about this. All right? God bless. Have a great day.